Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Asban, here with my friend Chabruta Aaron Gordon. Our daf today, Masach Hatzukah, daf tet, page nine. So I feel like we're really in the swing of this new Masachet. Um, and today we actually start with the second Mishnah of this parak. Now, if you recall yesterday, we read these two bright notes that talked about uh, other sukkah structures, or let's say other structures that could also serve as a sukkah. Either something that was built for, let's say, people who do not have to keep the mitzvah of sukkah, right? Like a sukkat nashim, or a sukkah that had a different purpose, right? Like it was used as shade or something that was used for a specific type of laborer. And all of those sukkahs were allowed to be used. What those prices didn't fill in is when were those sukkot built? In other words, is it that you just happen to have on your property one of these sukkahs? And therefore, you're allowed to use them on Sukkot itself. But they could have been around for a year or nine months or something like that. And here, this mission is sort of comes to fill in the question of time, right? When do we have to actually, is there an element to the mitzvah of Sukkah about when that Sukkah was actually built? And so the mission reads as follows. Sukkah uh, Yeshana, Beit Shammai Poslein, Ubeit Hilo Machshirin. So let's say you have an old sukkah, and the mission will define in a second what an old sukkah is. Beit Shammai says it's pasul, it's not a good sukkah, and Beit Hillel says it's a good sukkah. So I think it's interesting to see the language here, right, that it's not about whether you fulfilled the mitzvah of sukkah, <clears throat> excuse me, if you sat in it, but rather it's whether it's a acceptable structure, it's about the structure itself. And therefore, they're using the word of pasul or machshir. So I, I think just pay attention to that. What's considered to be an old sukkah? Any sukkah that was built 30 days before the chag itself. But if it was a sukkah that was built for the purpose of Sukkot, even if it was from the beginning of the year, meaning Let's say Sukkot ends, right? Tishrei, Chavchei. And on Chavav, you decide to go out and build a sukkah for the following year. That would consider to be kosher. And so I think this principle that Beit Shammai has is very relevant to what we saw on the previous staff, right? That if you have sort of these old structures that were built 30 days previously and not L'Shem Mitzvah, right, not for the purpose of sitting, using that as your sukkah for the chag, it is a problem according to Beit Shammai. So I think there's a few elements here. <clears throat> it's not just a question of time. It's a question of also what were you thinking when you built it? And therefore, within, you know, 30 days, it doesn't seem like it necessarily needs to be l'shem, uh, the purpose of building a sukkah to be used on Sukkot. But prior to 30 days, it must have had the intention that this was going to be your sukkah for Sukkot itself. And the second thing, which I mentioned previously, is is notice the language. It's not a question of if you happen to have sat in one of these sukkahs, did you fulfill your mitzvah? But it's more talking about the integrity of the structure itself. Is it pasul or is it considered to be kosher? Now the Gemara then is going to go on and explain sort of the Midrash Halacha behind all of this. I'm not going to read all of it. But it begins off by saying, my time at the Beit Shammai. What's the reason for Beit Shammai? Amar Kra, and so from Vayikra, chapter 23, verse uh, 34. Chagasukot shivat yamim la Hashem. 
So the Pasuk there says, right, the festival, right, is seven days to Hashem. So it means it needs to be dedicated to Hashem. So this means it must be a sukkah, excuse me, that was built specifically for the purpose of the Chag itself. And it wasn't built specifically for the Chag, it's considered to be unfit. So what does Beit Hillel do with this Pasuk? Uh, right? So they hold like, he holds like, well, holds like Rav Sheshet. To Amar Rav Sheshet, Mishum Rav Yekiva. Rav Sheshet says in the name of Rav Yekiva, Minayin la'atzei sukkah she'asurin kol shiva tamud lomar chayka sukkah shiva yamim la'ashem. From where do we know that the wood of the sukkah you're not allowed to use for any purpose other than uh, the sukkah all seven days. So in other words, if you build your sukkah and you used wood to build that sukkah, and let's say you decided, you know, in the middle of sukkahs, oh, you know what, I want to use that wood for something else. You're not allowed to because you built it specifically for sukkahs and therefore you need to use it for your sukkah. It was la Hashem. You dedicated it to Hashem. And so then they're going to quote a price here, um, right? Vitanya, Rabbi Yehuda, Ben Batra, Omer, so here we're talking now about we're making a parallel between the Korban Chagiga, which was the special Korban that needed to be brought on any Chag, right? It's, it's a festival offering. So just as the animal that's designated for the festival offering basically comes, it's dedicated to Hashem, you cannot use it for anything else. And I think intuitively we understand that with Korbanot, you designated an animal, it's now designated. But he says here, Rabbi Yehuda ben Patera, the Shem Shamayim, right? This dedication to God is also on the sukkah. And here he quotes the same pasuk, right? What does it mean that it's to Hashem? The sukkah itself is consecrated to Hashem. And so I think it's interesting to see that sort of this inanimate object, right? Which is sort of taking other things in the world, wood, siding, whatever it is that you take, once you build it in the construct of a sukkah, that takes on a special meaning and becomes consecrated to God. And I believe that this is the first time we've seen, certainly in, you know, Psachim and even in Yuma a little bit, we had a lot of discussion about Corbanos, right? Like what happens if an animal, if it was mistakenly dedicated or you picked the wrong animal or you lost an animal and then you found the animal. So I think something that's living makes a lot of sense, right? That once it's dedicated, it's dedicated. But here we have an inanimate object and there's really, it's interesting that there's no mechanism that's given that says like, oh, you could redeem it for money and then you could use the wood. It seems like once it's being, once it's dedicated, it's dedicated, and there's no way out of that dedication, um, and that's not something that we typically see. And again, this isn't something that's bound for the temple either, which I think is also what's interesting about it, right? Anne? Do you hear what I'm saying about that, Anne? Like, in other words, even when we have inanimate object, let's say your fruits, right, for master shame, right, the fruits that you have to bring up to eat in Yerushalayim. You're allowed to redeem it for money because obviously the fruit's not going to last. There's a practical consideration. But this is like not even temple consecrated. This is just you decided that these were the materials. You built your sukkah. And once it has the status of sukkah, it's really not allowed to be used for anything else. 
then they're going to go through a few more psukim to be like, what does Beit Shammai do? What does Beit Hillel do? And then finally, at the end of the discussion of this Mishnah, it's really not a very long discussion until they move on to the next Mishnah, they then draw a parallel with Tzitzit. Um, that with Tzitzit also, basically from the beginning of the process of Tzitzit, even when you spin the thread or you obtain the thread, you know, all of that has to be basically L'Shem Mitzvah Tzitzit, that you have to have intention that you're doing all of this uh, for the tzitzit itself. Um, and uh, I, I just think this, you know, calls, so I think this whole section here, you know, first of all, introduces for the first time the element of time, right? When was the sukkah built? The second piece is it, it introduces intention, right? Does there need to be intention that this sukkah was meant for the purpose of sukkot and not just, oh, you happen to have a structure that fits the parameters of what a kosher sukkah is. And the third piece is, uh, you know, that the materials that you use for the sukkah, even with an intention that this was the structure you're building it for the purpose of sukkah, the materials maintain almost like a consecration and are not allowed to be used for anything else. And I think this elevates the status of the structure itself. It's not just about having the right measurements of the right size, but the material itself is elevated. Yes, I think that's true. I think it's an interest. I think it's, I would say, adding a tremendous um, amount to the picture of what we understand to be the requirements of sukkah. <coughs> Excuse me, that we haven't yet seen so far. Um, I'm going to jump now to the next Mishnah on the daf. It's conveniently organized that right, way, right? Mishnah Gemara, Mishnah Gemara, and that's our two Am- Amudim here, Amudim. Somebody who sets up his sukkah under a tree. The Mishnah says pretty forcefully, it's as if he's made a sukkah inside of a house, meaning that didn't work. You don't have a sukkah there. The notes here, and this I find to be very interesting, says you may have a different case if you built the sukkah before the tree went up. And then you might have to worry about shade versus, um, you know, how much shade is there versus how much sunlight is coming from the schach of the sukkah. Of course, if you have a sukkah that was built before the tree was planted, then we really have an issue of time because that's a lot longer than 30 days earlier, right? Sukkah al gabe sukkah. What if you built a sukkah on top of another sukkah? So this is the logical, easy thing, right? The upper sukkah will be kosher because its schach is facing the sky and the bottom sukkah is not going to be kosher because its ceiling is the floor of the other sukkah, the top, the upper sukkah. If there's no real, there's, if nobody's, you know, managing to be in the upper sukkah, then having a sukkah that can, the, the schach of which is not really a legitimate floor, right, for the, for the upper sukkah, so that you can see kind of through two layers of schach with this, you know, empty space between the two layers of schach, according to Rabbi Yehuda, that's going to be fine, as long as you've got the right, you know, proportions of shade and sunlight. Um, why you might build a sukkah on top of a sukkah and then not live in there to begin with and have this kind of thing is unclear, but I think that if we're thinking about structures that may already be in place and now you're just kind of sprucing them up to make sure they're equipped to be a sukkah, then I can understand where the, you might have a ground floor with a missing, you know, with a ceiling that's the floor above it missing, right? And then likewise going up, if you have some kind of dilapidated, I don't know, 
Um, and then you might end up being able to set yourself up with a proper schach and you'll have a real sukkah. I should mention here, <clears throat> and I feel like I've been waiting for this day, um, anybody who has been in Israel for Sukkot and has gone to Naot Kedumim, Naot Kedumim is a, it's kind of a museum, but it's an outdoors museum where they have the flora. Really, I think they try hard to have lots of the flora, maybe all of the flora that's mentioned in Tanakh, uh, including one of the things that they do is they have a festival of Sukkot every year on Sukkot. Um, I don't know what's happening during Corona times. It's a different question. But, and they they build for us Sukkah al-Gabe Sukkah, right? Exactly this, the Sukkah that is, you know, very tiny, the Sukkah that is 20 amot high. And so that they are there before you. Now, once upon a time, a very, very long time ago, I went to this festival with a camera back in the days of actual film. And I took pictures of everything. So what I'm, I'm hoping to do is to take digital photos now of my film photos, of my pictures, and we'll put them up on Facebook somewhere to make sure that I can do this in a way that doesn't make them look ridiculous. Um, but if you scout, you will find that we Sukkot. Maybe not all of them, but but a good number of them because it's it's a known thing. So that they show you, you can see, you know, Sukkah, Agabe Sukkah, where it looks like, I don't know, the kind of thing that might be um, a shelter out in the fields for those who are, I don't know, threshing, out, laboring out in the fields and not going home at night because there's so much work to be done. I've made up this scenario, but I'm saying that the it might not be what you would build for the sake of the holiday of Sukkot. But again, if there's something that's going to be available anyway already, and you're just making sure that your schach works, then these structures make more sense then, I think. Um, which is, I, I feel like that particular point is not discussed enough. So now the Gemara comes and says, well, when when are we really talking about a tree, right? If we're, Let's go back to the beginning of the mission that says, if you build your sukkah under a tree, and this is an issue for many homes where you build your sukkah in your yard and there's a tree that has some overhang. Amarava, lo shanu ela bi'ilan shetzilato meruba mechamato. Aval chamato meruba mitzilato kshera. If you have a tree that is providing more shade than the sunlight it lets through, then you've got a problem. But if the sunlight that it lets through is going to be more than the shade that it covers, then it's not considered a problem in terms of like blocking the, in terms of blocking the sukkah from the sky. Uh, so, but of course, this is not, this is a, a premise that we've been talking about as if it's a conclusion. And the Gemara doesn't take it that way. The Gemara starts with treating it as a premise. You know, it's going to ask on Rava. Mimai, where does Rava get this idea? Mitzikatani, from the statement in the Mishnah, ki'ilu asa'a The fact that it says, it uses this particular image, which I called strong language, which I think it is a strong statement to say that it says if you're inside, but the fact that you're talking about something being inside, you don't have to use that whole phrase. It's descriptive. It's, it's you know, engaging. But why not just say it's puzzle, right? It's a, that it doesn't work. So what do you learn from that? The, the tree is going to be similar to the bayit, the house. Just as a house has shade that is more extensive than the sunshine it lets in, we're talking here about a solid roof, so that's a, a you know, a tautology. Af ilan So too, a tree, meaning the problem of the tree is going to be when it's shade, the shade that the tree provides 
is greater than the amount of sunshine it lets through. With the implication then, of course, that if it doesn't provide that much shade, then it's not going to be as, you know, akin to the house. So what do you do when you have the sunshine being more than the shade that it, that comes through from this tree? So then you have to worry to make sure that your tzach is okay. But if the tzach itself is okay, then the tree itself is also not going to be as much of a problem. Ligabar goes on here to talk to talk about these parameters, right? What's really going on if if we um are lowering down the schach? There's a discussion here of what happens. It's a famous, um, maybe it's not so famous. I think of it as famous of if you have um, grapes or gourds or ivy, right? Climbing things, climbing plants, right? That are going over, that are growing over the sukkah, which the whole idea of schach, we haven't talked about this at all here, Dina, but the idea of schach is that it has to be from what's called didule karka. It's, it's plants that grow from, it's from plants that grow from the earth. But all of the schach that you know of, right, it's already been detached from the earth. So the Gemara here talks about exactly this question. What happens if these plants are growing and not detached from the earth, and now they are climbing over the sukkah, and do they count as schach, or are they going to be a problem? And for the most part, they're going to be a problem unless you then go and cut them, right? So I just want to note, meaning I'm not going to read the whole daf here, but um, but this is the kind of detail that we're up to now. We're really paying attention to what is the sukkah like the other sukkah? I mean, what is one sukkah like another sukkah? When does it count to have schach that is acceptable? What about the, the you know, the double-decker sukkah? Where, what are those circumstances? How can that work? Um, and the Gemara is kind of just you know, elaborating on the Mishnah in the way that we expect and desire the Gemara to do. Well, in typical Gemara fashion, they introduce a somewhat complex discussion about schach without actually introducing the concept of schach. Right, like, that's Before, fair. we've really been focused on the size of the sukkah, right? And then we sort of move into the question about shade, but you would think that they would have discussed first, like, where's the shade coming from? What's the covering have to be? And of course, they'll get to it eventually. But clearly, there's a lot of assumption here that we know certain things while we're discussing it. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, I, it's not as, I think it's not as shocking not shocking troubling i don't know disconcerting that's the right word it's not as disconcerting to me this time because i feel like yes that's right we know that conversation we're now talking about schach meaning if i were as familiar with all of shas as i am with the topics here in masachat sukkah then i might have might not be as startled when the gemara suddenly picks up on topics that we haven't discussed yet and starts talking about them as if we already know everything there is to know Whereas if when I know less, then I'm aware of the fact that it's presenting me with new information on a new topic without any introduction. Here, I feel like, oh, but haven't we been talking about schach? Even though I know that we have not, because because I I know what a sukkah is, right? I mean, in these well, permutations. Well, I, I think that actually you use the word linear. We are learning Zafiyomi in a very linear fashion, right? Like, we only know what we have learned or we're teaching this, we're, we are learning this podcast in a linear fashion. That's what I would say, right? All we can do is keep referring back to what Masech or Dapim we've learned previously together. But 
it's clear that when there's a discussion about any Mishnah, even within a Masachet itself or a Parak itself, I think there's an idea that all the information is actually held together at the same time. There's nothing linear here in terms of the learning. Right, 100%. I just mean that because it's more familiar to me, I'm less aware of the fact that it's not linear to begin with and as compared to other Masachta where we've called it out, you know, every time we've seen it, we're calling it out here too. I just didn't, it didn't hit me in the face as as you, much as it usually does. Uh, okay, yeah, I think that's right because this is something that we're a little bit more um, familiar with. But It also know, this- reminds me that people, you know, Chazal, who were more familiar, let's say, with everything, it wasn't as, uh, you know, as strange for them to start referring to things that they didn't talk about, they didn't introduce, they didn't give the background to, because they're talking about them because they know. Exactly. And I think we see that here on this particular job. Um, and just, you know, one comment about the shade, uh, you know, just to make this a little bit uh, more about like the sukkah itself. I love the idea of like that the sukkah needs more shade because of the whole idea is that the sukkah is sort of a physical manifestation of the protection uh, that we feel from God, right? I, it, it's sort of like, it, it, you know, when you sit in shade, it's, it's cooling, it's relaxing, it, 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 you know, you're covered in a way. And I think that's, you know, the elements of the shade here. So we're supposed to be covered, you know, by, by God's protection, by God's glory, whatever terminology you want to use. So I, I just always love the idea of the shade and the Sukkah itself. That's our enough discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you know about Tzach and the age and height and shade of, Suk- of Sukkot. Um, thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn. <laughs>